something I talk about in my speaking is this idea of tolerance of ambiguity, where I noticed that a lot of vets would really struggle in a relief capacity because they have to have everything a certain specific way all the time. And I'm not like that. Like I'm open to trying new things or, you know, as long as I feel like it's safe for the pets. And so it really seemed to be a good fit for both me and for the clinics that I was serving. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. Hello again, positive leaders. Oh my gosh, it's great to be back with you all again. And we are super excited to have another super amazing special guest on the podcast. Dr. Caroline Brookfield. Welcome, welcome. Dr. Brookfield is a relief DVM and a speaker. She holds a Doctor of Veterinary Medicine and a Certificate of Professional Management. So welcome, Dr. Brookfield. We're super excited to have you on. Um, Yay. Thank Thank you for coming, Dr. Brookfield. I'm so excited. You can just call me Caroline. Awesome. We can do that. (laughs) So we don't read stuffy bios on the Positive Leadership Podcast. So without having to read your bio, Carolyn, would you tell us about yourself, your background, kind of what you're doing today? Yeah, it's kind of a long story. So I'll make it try to make it condensed. So, you know, I've been a veterinarian since 1997. And over that career, I've done many different things. And one of the things that I found was that I really love to use my creativity and all of the different jobs I used. And, uh, but I didn't tell uh, the vet clinics about it because I thought they would think it was weird. But I had this online jewelry business. And one day I shared it with one of my vet colleagues in one of the clinics I was working at. And I was like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then a few months later, I went back to the same clinic and I saw the same person. And they said, you know, you were telling me about your jewelry business. And it made me think about the quilting I used to do. And I loved it. And I don't know why I stopped. So when you told me about your jewelry business, I started doing it again. And I've been so happy. And that was kind of a, like an aha moment for me. And I had been exploring this idea of speaking because I love being on stage and performing. And I had a job with a a pet food company where I was doing a lot of speaking and really liked it. So I kind of mashed all of those things I love together at that point and started on my trajectory, which is kind of where I'm now as well as some other things, but uh, with it, which is doing the public speaking. That's awesome. Well, we're going to kind of dig into that and a bunch of other stuff on the pod. So super excited. So thinking about what you've got on your bookshelf right now, or something that you read or come across in the past, do you have a favorite book or podcast or continuing education course or something that's left a lasting effect on you you'd love to share with our listeners? 
Yeah, well, I, David, I'm a total lifelong learner. So that is impossible because I just love to read and consume and I just get huge dopamine hits from learning stuff. So one of the podcasts that I really love is The Hidden Brain. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that one or heard that one. It's an NPR. Oh, um, interesting. That's cool. So I love the Hidden Brain podcast, which is an NPR podcast, and it's all about the psychology of how we do things and why we do things. But they put it in the context of a story. They usually bring a guest on and then they kind of talk Mm. about like, you know, or a researcher that talks about the research. So I really like that podcast. One of the books that has really been impactful for me is maybe a little random for veterinary medicine. It's called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And it's Hmm. geared mostly to writers. But anybody who's finding that they want to put something creative out in the world, it's an amazing book talking about like the resistance to using our creativity. Interesting. I'm on my podcast app right now. Like, okay, add to library. (laughs) (laughs) A hidden brain. Got it. (laughs) Great one. There's lots of episodes, so you can binge it if you want to. Fantastic. That's me. I, I will skip and skip and then sit down for hours and put it on the background when I get time to catch up, right? And then I get brain overload. So you primarily do relief work as a veterinarian. I would love for you to talk to me a little bit about why you picked relief work, what fulfills you being a relief veterinarian, and what your biggest learning aha moment was as being a a relief veterinarian. Yeah, so I've been a relief veterinarian. In Canada, we call them locum, locum tenens vets. I've been doing that off and on pretty much since I graduated in 97. And really the reason I started doing it up here in Calgary. So I graduated from vet school in Ontario, Canada, and I moved to Florida, worked there for a few years. I can't really be a relief vet in the US because of the NAFTA TN visa regulations. So you have to have like one employer. So I didn't do much um, locum or relief work in Florida. And then I decided I wanted to move to Calgary, which is where I am now, to be near the mountains, rock climb, you know, things like that. And there wasn't a job that really fit me at that point. So I was like, well, I want to live in Calgary. I'll, I'll do relief and started doing that. And, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but it really suits me. You know, I have ADHD and I'm very independent. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told I have to work two out of four Saturdays a month. If I want to work four out of four Saturdays a month, I'm choosing to. <laughs> That's right. Not, yeah. Not because someone's On your telling terms. me. Yeah. So I, it started kind of out, as an, out of necessity. And then I realized it really matched my capacity. and. Part of that is something I talk about my speaking is this idea of tolerance of ambiguity, where I noticed that a lot of vets would really struggle in a relief capacity because they have to have everything a certain specific way all the time. And I'm not like that. Like I'm open to trying new things or, you know, as long as I feel like it's safe for the pets. And so it really seemed to be a good fit for both me and for the clinics that I was serving. For me, it's never and nothing in life for me is ever like this thunderclap like that. So for me, I worked as a locum vet. And then, you know, through the years, people would offer me a job and I'd take it and I'd work there for a while. And after about a year, you know, this is before I knew about my ADHD diagnosis, I was like, Meh, I don't, you know, I don't like that. I just have a low tolerance for BS and being told what to do. And not that the clinics had BS, but it was just like, I was like, I'm kind of done. I'm ready to move on. I was kind of bored of it. So one of the things that kept, keeps coming back to as for relief vet is that I can build my own schedule and I can kind of walk in, I can say, you know, I can work this day and this day, but not that day. So that's the main thing that's worked for me. Yeah, the flexibility there. The flexibility. Yeah. yeah. And also, I feel like I'm learning a lot at each practice I go to because everybody does things so differently. And I like to be able to help the veterinarians and the staff that really do need a vet to come in. 
And I try to be very accommodating and easy to work with. And so mm. I feel like I am really helping out that practice when I can mm. go in and work for a day or a week or whatever it is. Yeah, That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, being on the other end of that, absolutely. Relief vets have saved our booties more than once. So <laughs> we yeah, thank absolutely. you for that. Yes. Yeah. So I want to switch gears a little bit and say that there's something that probably our listeners don't know about you, which is that you are a stand-up comedian. And so <laughs> we are ready to laugh. So how did this come to life? Was this pre-vet school or pre-veterinary or post-veterinary? And how does that pair, which I'm sure it does in very interesting ways, how does it pair with being a veterinarian? I think we all have this like red thread, so to speak, that runs through our lives. And for me, I'd always wanted to be a vet ever since I was like three years old. And it was like, if you like animals, you should be a vet, right? So that was kind of my trajectory. And when I hit high school, I suddenly developed this love for performance and improv and and photography. To me, that was a weird time because I felt really stuck. Like, I'm like, oh, I'd never second guessed my career choice before. And anyway, obviously, I decided to go on to veterinary medicine, which has been a great career for many reasons. But Like I've tried so many, like I've, David, I've worked in industry, I've worked in research, I've worked in zoo and wildlife, small animal practice, ER, urgent care, like, I don't know, name the area of veterinary medicine, I've probably worked in it. (laughs) But I I was always kind of missing something and I wasn't sure what it was. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, I had a relief business actually 10 years before it became a thing. (laughs) You know, I started a relief um, agency in 19, about 2000 and eight, I started a relief agency up here in Canada. And then I closed that it just wasn't making any money, people weren't willing to pay for it, which is kind of funny now because they're all over the right. place. hindsight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just was kind of I got kind of tired of the operations part of it. I really like the creating of the business. I don't like so much the operations. And then I had this jewelry business. And through that process, you know, I call it my cheap MBA, I hired a business coach. And if you've ever had a coach or you know what coaches do, they do all these weird coachy things with you. And one of the things was like identifying different things you wanted to do. And one of mine was I've always wanted to do stand up comedy. And so I finished that session with my coach and I went on Google and I found a stand up comedy class in Calgary and it was starting the week after. So it was all kind of all the stars aligned. And then that's kind of how it started. I love that you are, you call it coachy stuff. That's fantastic. But that you took some action items there, right? You recognized this is something I'm going to do. I want to try it. And, you know, it turns out that you jewelry business, whatever it is, something that explores that side of your interest. And that leads me to, I want to get back to what you said earlier. You said you were, you know, kind of afraid to talk about or focus on creativity because of, you know, what kind of response is that going to have in vet med, right? I would say like the art and craft side, artsy crafty. And then <laughs> veterinarians are like, ooh, gross. It's not science. Yeah, yeah, it's not leaking things. So it's only cool <laughs> if it leaks things. So let's talk about that creativity. So when you can apply that creativity, why that? What does that mean in veterinary medicine? Does that mean we have to open up a jewelry store? Does that mean we have to go to comedy school? Talk a little bit about what create creativity, where we can make space for that in veterinary medicine. Yeah. And I think, you know, I went on a deep dive when I kind of put all these pieces together and the research around creativity. And what I speak about when I talk about creativity is the everyday creativity, which is not necessarily artistic. I mean, we don't have a name in English for the creativity that, you know, Picasso or Steve Jobs or whatever, versus like, I put some paprika in my stir fry, 
I don't know if that's a thing. I don't cook, but, or I built a garden, you know, those are all creative things. And so being veterinary professionals are very, very creative, whether it's, you're trying to help a client who has three cats and the one cat needs to lose weight or, you know, that puppy that's IV keeps getting kinked, like some kind of system you rig up to help the IV flow, or whether it's even just creating um, a surgical schedule, those are all using our creativity and you don't have to be artistic to do so. So that's the creativity I talk about is the everyday creativity. Excellent. I like that because I feel like we don't always need to go open a jewelry store and open it to feel creative. Mm-hmm. I think that we don't give enough space for our teams to to get that creativity out. And I see yeah. more and more things are like this mindfulness space where we put up you know, paint by color or something like that Mm -hmm. in the laundry room or in the break room. And you see people in there with color pencils and markers and they're coloring and they're shading in a unicorn on the wall. Right. Mm -hmm. And that I feel like is a fantastic way for us to create space for that creativity or that CSR who loves to create things on Canva for your Facebook Mm -hmm. page or something. Right. Right. Like we do need to make space for that creativity and we don't often give them time for that because it's like, answer the phone, talk to the client, hurry up, go to the next patient, hurry up, get this x-ray done. Right. So like, yeah. understand that that's most of our teams are very creative people. That's what vet medicine is made up of. Artsy crafty people. There's those of us that love spreadsheets and numbers and math and science. <laughs> we have very creative spreadsheet people. is still very creative. You are taking an mm-hmm. idea and executing it. You will love it. my graphs out of my yes. <laughs> spreadsheet, right? But make space for that and give time for teams mm-hmm. to have that experience in their every day. So I, I appreciate that um, feedback mm-hmm. on that. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew, I mean, what you're saying is exactly right. And in the research that Gallup's performed on creative organizations, not in vet med, but other industries, creative organizations have three criteria they identify. They give their people time to be creative. They give them an expectation to be creative. And they give them the freedom to take risks. And if the company has all three of those criteria, you also get the benefit of taking two out of your 10 employees who feel empowered Mm -hmm. to innovate on a daily basis. And that's things like using less paper and saving more money, like small Mm -hmm. innovations. So Mm -hmm. it takes it from 20% of the people to 70% of the people in your organization feel empowered to innovate. Fantastic. So this isn't just like arts and crafts. And, you know, that example of coloring the unicorn is a great one, but the evidence around everyday creativity and using that in a team and an organization and empowering people to use their own unique style of creativity, which might have nothing to do with crafts has so many organizational benefits. And, you know, it's, what do we need? Like, what do we need of that med? We need some creative solutions and some innovation and, you know, you don't get innovation without creativity. So it's a really easy place to start. And people who use their creativity are happier. I mean, there's tons of peer reviewed research that shows that if you do something creative, like making a meal or whatever it is, you feel happier the next day. And the mechanism by which we feel better is through the mechanism of problem solving. So Mm. when we're doing our creativity, we're using our problem solving and we're like problem solving ninjas. So if we're able to solve a problem, it makes us happy. And Mm. creativity is a great, easy way to use that problem solving. Mm. That's Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's exactly. It's great. As we were kind of, you know, cyber stalking you and looking at your amazing website and kind of trying to figure out what makes you tick, I got drawn to parts of your website that spoke a little bit about kind of the philosophy around relief work. That's kind of what we asked you a little bit about relief work and some of your background. And and I, I wanted to pull this sentence out because I thought it was so just really interesting. So you know, that you said that you're kind of, you've mastered this nuance of engaging a new team, building their trust, 
and then leading efficient process for superior patient care. And then I loved how you said at warp speed. <laughs> so I was That's loved- really good, right? I must have been in a good copywriting moment when I wrote that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what does it look like? Maybe walk us through your approach. So you have a, a new hospital calls you and, and books you for a shift. And so all the stuff that you just mentioned in that one sentence is change management, right? You know, how to engage folks, build their trust and lead efficient process. But then I would love to also hear about your approach, not only to doing that on a completely new team, a completely new hospital, but also seeing, I don't know, 15, 20 minute appointments, right? And getting through a a busy day. So what does that look like, you know, with warp speed patient care also? Yeah, I mean, that's a lot to ask for, right? So I think number one is I don't do 15 minute appointments as a relief vet. Like I'd say I need, depending on the staffing and Often up here in Canada, we are not as well staffed as support staff as in the US, I find. So, you know, I'm like, I do best with 20 to 30 minute appointments. Like, and it also depends on, on what the clinic is looking for. So I think that's important if I have a new clinic to be like, what is your goal for me to be there today? If it's revenue, is it just like keeping the clients happy so they don't go to a different clinic or, you know, another place or that they just have somewhere where their pets can be taken care of. So I think, first of all, I'm a big fan of clear expectations of understanding what we need. And part of that is in, I don't really do a contract because I can't be bothered, but I have this like letter and estimate that I send to clinics. And I'm like, if you book me, you're accepting these terms. And it's basically like, I prefer this kind of an appointment. And these are the surgeries I won't do. And these are the things that I do do. And it's just kind of a clear expectation about what it looks like to work together. And then honestly, David, I really just say, let's book a day. Let's just work together for a day. Because I could spend three hours asking all the things and ask all the questions. And I actually published about, I don't know, 10 years ago, a list of like questions you can ask each other to make sure that you're on the same page. So I think a lot of it is about clear expectations, but also going in with an open mind and just trying to go with the flow of the practice and what they do. And I think with the staff to to get them on board, it's really about engaging them in the process and saying like, hey, how do you do this here? And then if it's a way that I'm okay with, but it's not a way that I necessarily would have chosen, I'm like, how much do I want to die in this hill, right? Like, let's just go with it and um, realize try to identify where the stakes are high and where the stakes are not high. And just try to focus also on what is the goal? The goal is to meet patient care and to help people feel like their pets are being taken care of. And some of that might be like, for example, a dog comes in with a torn nail, like, do you want me to do a full physical exam on this dog or not? Because if you don't, that's fine. And we can do a 10 minute appointment, right? So it's all about flexibility to me with what the goals are and what the practice standards are, because the more you go in and try to rock the boat, the worse it's going to be. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. Dr. Kelly and I would love to talk to you about what you call creative leadership. So on the podcast, obviously, we focus on leadership and how practice managers and veterinary professionals, whether it be licensed techs, CSRs, whoever it may be, we talk about leadership. How can we be better leaders moving our profession forward, right? Like you said, what's our common kind of denominator there is to provide good quality pet care and good quality patient care, client care. So talk to us a little bit about creative leadership. What does that mean to you? What does that look like in a practice? Yeah. So, I mean, creativity for me starts with like five foundational habits that I talk about in my keynotes and my workshops which are things like daydreaming and being curious, facing ambiguity, building novelty. And so those are all key elements of a creative leader. And that's somebody who, A, has the vulnerability to be curious, because if you don't wonder how things could be different, then 
and be curious, it's very vulnerable to be curious. But that also includes tolerating, like facing ambiguity. Like, I don't know the answer. So I'm okay to sit in this really uncomfortable space of not knowing what the answer is while we investigate what the next way is forward. So a lot of that comes down to being vulnerable and self-aware about, you know, what what your reaction is to uncertainty and what your reaction is to feedback and how you collect information from your staff, but also show confidence in, you know, moving forward once you've made a decision. So creative leadership to me is about a leader who can show some vulnerability to know that they don't always have the answers and be comfortable sitting in the place of collecting that data and collecting evidence to move forward and be willing to fail and have confidence in the team that they can take small risks within a a certain parameters to Mm -hmm. try new things and fail. So, you know, we talk about this whole culture of failing forward, but it is a real thing. Like if you say to your team, I want you to come with to me with ideas. And this happened to me in in a job I was at. And I came with an idea and they're like, that's never going to work. I was like, oh, well, I'm probably just not going to give you any ideas anymore. Right. Yeah. You're shut down at that point. Right. I love how you talk about vulnerability there, right? Because that's, Mm -hmm. you know, I always say it's uncomfortable to naked in front of others, right? Of course it is. So I'm I'm going to be vulnerable and show you and share this idea with you. But if there's not any psychological safety to know that even if my idea sucks, I'm still bringing ideas to the table and maybe not say it sucks, right? Maybe come back and say, Tell me about how you think that would work and tell me about where you think the obstacles would be and then go, right? You go back and work on that and chew on that, right? And then come back to me again with, oh, yeah, you know what? I really thought about it and this isn't Mm going to work in this situation. But nine out of 10, it'll work in this situation. Mm -hmm. So I would say like looking at it through the other lenses of each department, right? Look at through a lens of the client, the CSR team, the technical team, the doctor team, the business team, the owner team, the finance team, right? What does that look like through everybody else's lens? And then come back to the table with, this is a great idea, except for in this situation. Or, hey, I talked to the head CSR, the head tech, the head kennel, the head manager, the head, you know, whatever, right? The CPA. I did all my due diligence and I think this would be, you know, good, except for, you know, ABC, except for D and F, right? But I feel like that does not allow your teams to be creative, right? Like you say, doesn't allow. So making that creative leadership is is back to giving the space for your teams to be creative and have some psychological safety so that when they bring an idea to you, I know for sure that's horseshit idea. Totally going to suck ass if Uh we implement it, but I'm not going to say that. Hey, I appreciate you coming and telling me that. How about if you think about the obstacles that might be in your way from that being successful and come back to me in a week. Totally different way of saying it, right? Well, and you hit on a number of things. Number one, the psychological safety that goes back to Gallup's criteria of like freedom to take risks. But also one of the things you hit on, which we haven't talked about yet, is one of the foundational elements of creative problem solving or creative thinking, which is the E in my dance dance acronym, which is for edit later. And anytime you're trying to think of a new way forward, it's really important that you think of your new ideas in a very specific way. So there's two parts of creative thinking. There's divergent and convergent. Most people think of divergent, which is the ideation and the how can we get a unicorn to the moon or whatever the case. But what we tend to do is we edit, we converge on those ideas, which is the editing part and the selecting. We tend to converge while we're creating. So we'll be like, oh, that's a bad idea. Oh, Sue suggested that last week. And I'm not going to say that that's a bad idea. And that's like the number one killer for creative thinking. And so it's important, kind of what you were saying, Andrea, about like, that's a really bad idea. 
there are no bad ideas when you're creating ideas. It's very important to have that safety and to throw something out and say there, there are really no bad ideas because once you have, once you have that really bad idea, that might actually give you the idea that changes everything. I can give you an example if you want for my creative problem solving. Do you want, do you want me to tell you? So the story was there was this company probably around the fifties that packaged glassware, like for drinking wine glasses and things. And, they had their employees wrap the glasses in newspaper. You know, that thing we used to get on our doorstep to tell us, you know, what happened in the world three days right. ago. What, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that thing. Yeah, that thing. <laughs> yeah. So they used that to wrap the glasses. But what would happen is the staff would like get interested in one of the articles or ads. So they would sit down and read the article. So their productivity was not very good. So they got together as, as a team and the leaders were like, so let's have this ideation session. And everybody came up with the usual ideas, like let's look at different packing material or, you know, incentives and, you know, rewards and things like that. And they got stuck, which is pretty typical for creative problem solving. And then someone blurted out, we should just poke their eyes out because then they wouldn't be able to read the newspaper. That's a, that's that's a bad idea, it. Andrea, right? <laughs> like that's in your, that's a very bad idea. But because of that idea, they got it. They got the idea to hire people with visual impairments. And these are people who are marginalized, who couldn't get jobs. They hired them to pack the glasses. And now not only were they obviously not interested in the newspaper, they were packaging them with more care, they were getting less breakage, and they were able to access grants and subsidies to support Mm. people with disabilities. So that is an example of where a terrible, illegal and messy idea was actually the idea that completely changed the business. So you have to allow the bad ideas. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I know. I don't know for sure if it's a true story. I've looked for that because, you know, science, I've been looking for the citation. I learned it through one of my teachers in my creative problem solving. But even if Mm -hmm. it's not true, it's a good story. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) Agreed. So on your website, you also, it's great, you list your, maybe not all of your talks, but a lot of your talks. And one of them that also drew me was, and I promise if I butcher the title or whatever, but rebounding from a tough day, rebounding from a tough shift. And man, do we have some tough days in that bed, right? It's not only are they physically taxing, but they're emotionally as well. So, you know, tell us a little bit about what that talk, what the meat of that talk is. And, and how do we do that? How do we rebound from a really tough shift? That sounds like it's kind of the, the holy grail in terms of being able to make it work in this profession. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to sit here and tell you that, you know, doing something creative is going to fix, you know, a terrible day where it's emotionally draining and people have been yelling at you. I don't know that there is any fix for that. But what I do know is the research and my personal experience of using creative habits to improve positive affect and, and well-being. And it's a documented thing. It's something that I feel very strongly about. And for rebounding from a tough day, it could something be something as simple as, you know, making a meal in a new way or picking a new recipe. If you're too tired for that, it could be something like, you know, tending your garden or planting your garden or just having a creative practice that doesn't have to be artistic will help you to refill your cup, I guess. You know, in nurses, they found that nurses who did something creative rebounded faster from stress. They took less time off work and they were more likely to go back to work after a stressful event. So there's definitely research behind it, but how that looks for each individual person is very individual. Like if I tell, sure. if I told Andrea, yeah. you should go home and like, you know, paint by numbers, you might be like, what? No way. No, thanks. Yeah. No. But if I told you go home and you know, rearrange your shelves <laughs> or like put labels on your pantry or yeah buy new bottles for your dry goods and put them in that like those are all creative it doesn't seem like it but they are all creative outlets 
and finding that one thing. And often it can be artistic, like quilting or something like that, because it's also low stakes, right? Like if you're, you know, getting a part-time job on the side, I mean, it becomes a little bit more stressful, but you know, if you do something artistic or something that doesn't matter, like you plant, nobody cares if your garden doesn't look right, or nobody cares if your food doesn't taste exactly the way you thought it would. And so it's a great way to practice stepping into ambiguity and uncertainty and failure and, and just knowing that it's okay, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, and that goes back to being vulnerable, right? You have to be okay with that your food tastes like shit that time you made it with the extra whatever, right? Or be okay that your shelves are crooked or that your sewing didn't go right. Or you, know, you have to be okay with that and just know that I'm doing something creative. I'm, I have this outlet that's helping me cope, right? Or whatever it is, get through the, the sucky day. And well, it doesn't matter what the outcome practice, is. right? Uh, yeah, practice, sorry? 100%. 100% like, Yeah. You know, yeah. Like some people say, I can't believe you do stand up comedy. Like that would be terrifying. And it's like, but why is it terrifying? Like I'm not going to die. And the reason I don't get terrified, I still get nervous when I do it, but it's because I've done it so many times and I failed many times and realized the life's not going to end if I fail, especially with comedy. Yeah, right? right. So having that ability to fail and, you know, I have never been able to draw or paint, you know, that's, I've never considered myself an artistic person. Lately, I've got this sketchbook and I took this like free LinkedIn course on sketching. And I was in San Diego a week or two ago for a talk and I went to the beach and I tried to sketch these surfers and like, I don't even know how you draw waves. I don't know what I was doing. And I looked at my drawing after and I just burst out laughing because it was (laughs) so bad. But who cares? Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Who cares? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not submitting it for any prizes anytime soon. I'm the same exactly. way. Like my stick figures are unidentifiable. So I just know that's not my jam and I don't enjoy it. So why am I going to bother to do it? Right. I'm going to do something else that I enjoy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think what happens is we get really skilled in our jobs and our professions is we lose that ability like kindergartners do to fail and just not care. Right. So we get so caught up in being perfect, especially in veterinary medicine, where we feel like of course, there's high stakes. If we're failing, then we just define ourselves by this, this inability to fail. And I think there is something freeing and enjoyable about trying something and knowing that if you fail, it may, it doesn't matter at all. Who cares, right? No one's looking at you and judging you or, or you have to tell ourselves that. Yeah, yeah. So we've kind of been all over the map, right? So far, we've <laughs> That's talked- That's for the course for me, oh, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> all over the place, squirrel. So why don't you give us two or three common mistakes that veterinary practices and maybe even specifically practice managers, since that's our audience or leaders in a practice, make on a regular basis, either using, say, relief vets or let's even maybe talk about some creative leadership where we're not allowing for creative leadership, right? So let's talk about two or things we just should don't do this. And then we can then turn that around and say, okay, but instead maybe do this. So let's start with the don't. Give us two or three things that we should just stop. Like, don't ever do this again (laughs) when it comes to... There's many ideas. One specific thing would be don't put the relief vet with the relief tech and all the junior staff. That's terrible. The B team. (laughs) Don't put the relief vet with the B team. I've been to clinics where I've worked with people who literally don't know where the syringes and needles are in the hospital. I'm like, oh boy, recipe for disaster. All right. <laughs> and talking about speed and efficiency, that is terrible. And often going leading into the second mistake I see 
is a high expectation of focus on revenue for a new relief vet. Like if you really got, it's not a relief vet because many of them come back to the same practice over and over again, but you're talking about like a brand new vet that comes in and you're booking them back to back with a junior staff. And then you're getting upset because their fee is not justified by, you know, the revenue they're bringing in. Well, that's avoidable, right? So I think overbooking and having an unclear expectation of, of expecting the relief vet to come in and just be like a full-time staff member. Relief vet's going to need to know your system, the way you run your medical notes. It takes so much longer to read a medical note and get a sense of like where things are and build rapport with a client. Because if you don't have a chance to build that rapport with the client, then everything's going to fall apart. You're going to have a bigger nightmare when you came back from vacation or whatever the case. So I would say those two things, give them an experienced staff and also don't, jam them to the gills with work because you know what in this market they just won't come back yeah yeah they're too soft yeah 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 yeah. that makes sense like, honestly if i work at a clinic one day i've never worked there before and they've i had one time i diagnosed like three or four abdominal masses in one day i was like back-to-back appointments no dedicated staff person i'm not gonna tell them i'm just like sorry i'm not com- like i'm unavailable like i'm not gonna mm-hmm. bring it up why why would i i'm not invested yeah. And that also is accountable for me. And this is something I've had to learn is I need to take accountability to say to people, which is why I do it ahead of time. Like, this is what I need. You know, right. like, if you want mm. me to be efficient and you want this to go well, I have this like sense of, I don't want to be that person that's like a princess or whatever. But I know now that if I'm kind and I say, I need this and you need to, it will go much better. And they might yeah. not know that I need to demand that. So that's what I think is putting up a boundary for myself. And it also Mm -hmm. ends up being a much more successful day in the long run. That makes sense. So kind of like flipping this on its head a little bit. So those are some things we probably do and shouldn't do. What are some things that we might, that we should do? What are some, some things that maybe you encountered, you know, in your years and you, and it's built a really good synergistic relationship? Yeah, I think on a practical basis, having an experienced team member dedicated to me. So I'm not like, who can help me? You know, like I have someone there to help me that knows that I'm going to need a little bit more help if it's a new practice than than someone who's been there full time. So I think giving support, um, more support than you think a typical full time staff member might need at the beginning, and then see how that goes. You know, things like billing, sometimes I work at practices, and they want me to put the bill in. I'm like, I have no idea what like there's six blood panels in here like which one is it right so I think just making sure giving them the proper support and just being just appreciate like they're people just trying to respect each other from both ways like realizing they're not machines but also you know giving them a sense of what you're expecting and how things work and making sure that they fit in and not just throwing them in the deep end you know having someone there and it doesn't have to be a veterinarian but someone who's like in a supportive way says, this is kind of how we run things here. And, you know, how do you want to proceed? So I think it's really just about collaboration. And it's about setting expectations with clarity. And just trying to teach people, treat people kindly. Treating people kindly. I'm going to tell you, like, say it again from the people in the back. (laughs) My sister-in-law was telling me the other day that she went to this coffee shop. And the guy that Barista's t-shirt said, stop being a Karen with the name spelt, you know, K-A-R-E-N, and start more Karen, C-A-R-I-N, you know, like, oh, yeah, just be kind, right? Can we say it, but then we do, you know, our actions don't necessarily show that. So yeah, be kind, right? David and I have this thing, it's like assume good intent, you know, like always assume that, you know, there's good intent there. Like, can we not just 
be kind. Yeah, thank you. So I would love for you to share a piece of advice and maybe a piece of advice that your younger self would listen to, should your younger self listen, or just a piece of advice that you think would be fantastic with our, to share with our listeners. I think the most important thing that I have learned that's taken me a long time to learn is that people don't really care about what you do. Honestly, when we, and the research supports, when we're self-conscious about the way we look or something we say, people don't notice. So stop worrying so much about what a vet or tech or whoever practice manager should do and should look like, and just bring more of yourself to the table and more of yourself to work. Because if we want creative and innovative ways to solve the problems we're dealing with in vet med, we need a variety of inputs and diverse perspectives. We don't need robots. We don't need people that all look the same. So that would be my advice is people don't care about you as much as you think they do in a good way. I agree. And I love the diversity. We talk a lot about diversity on the show and not just diversity of ethnicity or race, but more diversity of bring the personality. I love the quirky CSR that has her favorite pen. That's super quirky and weird, right? Like she brings so much to the table and, you know, just, just different. Like I love those types of personalities where, you know, the kennel guy will pop his head in and say something totally random and everybody just busts up laughing and he just keeps walking, right? You're like, God, I love that kid. I love that type of diversity where we have the freedoms to bring our personality to work. And it's, it just makes the workplace just more fun. I I do feel like when we all can be our silly wonky selves, whatever that looks like to ourselves, you know, to to, to that. Yeah. Well, and actually that brings me back to your old, the question earlier about creative leadership. I think that's a true mark of a creative leader is someone who can manage all those different interests and quirky personalities and give that psychological safety so that people can show up with who they are at work. Yeah. I just did a review recently of one of my CSRs and she's like, I've always had to not bring some of myself to work. I've always had to hide it or cover it or not allow myself to be me. And she says, I love the fact that when I come in here, she goes, it doesn't matter. I can let it rip. And you guys embrace all of it. And she says stuff and I'm like, only Paige could get away with that and make everybody in the practice laugh. And it's fantastic. And I love her to pieces for it. She brings so much of her personality to the table every day to practice and work. And everybody's like, they wouldn't just eye roll and just be like, it's Paige. But it's fantastic, right? We, we can't imagine a day without her, you know? And if she's super quiet one day, I'm like, something's wrong, lady. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Where's your spice? You know, where's your jalapeno attitude today? You know? <laughs> Well, she's accepted as who she is, is who she is, and she's seen for who she is. And I think at the end of the day, that's all people want. And she can share her creativity. Yeah, that she was able to share that in her review, because it hit home for me, you know, Mm -hmm. that I thought, wow, I'm appreciative of the fact that I can give you an environment where you're comfortable to do that. And I'm sorry that you've had to work in environments where that's not been accepted or it's not allowed. So I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. So you've had a diverse background, worked in many places, as you shared, right? Done many different jobs, wore many different hats. So I would love for you to share a time where you encountered either a client or an employee, a practice owner, who knows, whatever it is, where all of a sudden you, like your eyes popped open, your chin hit the ground, and you were like, no shit, this just happened. Like, I can't believe it. I can't make it up. No way. Share with us your you can't make this shit up story. 
I have a few. The one that comes to mind was, you know, I was working as relief in a clinic, a new clinic. It was a bit, it was semi-rural. This is a while ago. This is probably close to 20 years ago in not in defense, but anyway, so I, this is before I had a lot more to ask clinics. You just kind of show up and do whatever. Like, so I show up, I have this cat dental and I'm looking around. I'm like, wait, where's your drill? And they're like, we don't have a drill. Like, what do you mean you don't have a drill? Like, how am I supposed to suction these teeth? And she's like, hang on, I'll go get it for you. Wait, she brings, yeah, you're waiting for it, aren't you? She brings out, you know, those red handled wire cutters like to cut off the fence. Yeah. No. Yeah. What? No. Yeah. Like what? not even a giggly wire, which is still terrible. Right. Oh my right? god. No. I was like, what? You can't book dentals for me here. Like uh, stop yeah, it. No. Oh my god. <laughs> like they would crack the teeth with this big or the jaw. Tooth with the one you need two hands, like it's not like the uh, little oh one. It's the, my gosh. Would it even fit in the cat's mouth? Like, oh my Ooh. gosh, that's wild! Yeah, that's wild. And they're like, Well, you reacted oh. better to the other relief that we had here that had a dog. Oh, well. <laughs> oh my god, that's a practical joke, right? You're joking, yeah, right? She's as yeah, you said, I was, a, it was like, Yeah, that was my up. no shit moment. Wow, good lord. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show, we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Probably um, hosting a comedy night for a charity and bombing horribly. Tell me about your proudest moment. I want to say having kids. Why veterinary medicine? What do you love about our profession? I love the incredible diversity. You can do a million different things within the profession. Self-care, how do you practice it? How do you decompress? Zazen meditation practice. I like to exercise, go for a walk, and try using my creativity. How do you balance work and life, and do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I don't experience work guilt anymore. I have pretty good boundaries. What keeps you up at night, things that stress you out or cause you anxiety in the business or the veterinary profession or the world? I think what stresses me out is when I see people who are so rigid and so incapable of seeing that there are other ways forward and so afraid to show who they are. What gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? New challenges, like learning something new, helping people and making a positive contribution to the world. I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but really that's what it is. What color are you and how does it describe you? Orange, because it's a bit bold, but it's not quite red. It kind of keeps your options open. I like to keep my options open. And if you could be any animal, what would it be and why? I think I would be a bird because I think it would be fun to fly. Awesome. Well, Carolyn, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for coming by the fun. pod. This was great. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Dr. Carolyn, if our listeners would like to get a hold of you and learn more about who you are and what you do, where can we reach you? Where can we find you? Oh, you can go to my website. It's just carolinebrookfield.com. 
or I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You just search for my name and hopefully I'll come up. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for coming by the pod. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.